Welcome to Talking Television, everyone. Today we have a special show in store for you. Before we get started, please make sure to subscribe, like, and comment. And you can find us at Southport Media on all the popular social media platforms. We were able to sit down and talk with Rich Ting, one of the badass stars of the new hit show Warrior. We discussed the casting process, Asian American history, his custom weaponry in the show, and his drink of choice, most important. That's right. And him kicking some ass. So stay tuned. You are going to enjoy it. Today, we're talking with actor Rich Ting. You'll know him from hits such as Waco, Assault, and Lone Survivor. And currently, he's starring on Cinemax's Warrior TV show. Thanks for coming on Talking Television, Rich. Oh, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Uh, so currently, we've seen six episodes of Warrior, and right now, it exceeded all of our expectations, and we're really enjoying the show. Can you explain a little bit how you got the, the role and what the process was? to get on the show well traditionally it's just it's it's been kind of funny because you know the whole character of bolo has kind of uh, followed me throughout my life you could say um to, to uh, and the reason why i say this is because all all this flashback of memory happened in the matter of a few seconds when i got the call to audition for warrior you know so originally you know as a kid because i was kind of the only asian kid on a lot of my pop warner football teams and baseball and basketball teams growing up um, and I was a little bit bigger for my size, for my age, I should say. Um, a lot of my teammates and friends and family used to kind of make fun of me and, you know, call me Bolo just in reference of my size. And, uh, you know, growing up watching Bruce Lee and Bolo, I always wanted to be Bruce Lee. And, and I always kind of rejected being called Bolo because of just my, uh, my, my love for Bruce, you know. And so years later, as I got into college and I was obviously, you know, bigger in college than I was when I was a kid. Um, the, the movie Bloodsport had kind of a renaissance deal and kind of had resurfaced. And obviously everyone knows that Bolo Young played Chung Lee in Bloodsport. So I then graduated to Chung Lee. And so, you know, but the, 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 the point is I've always been referred to as Bolo throughout my childhood and collegiate years that when we got the call to audition for Warrior, initially it was to audition for Assam. And, uh, when I got the call back, they, they had, they literally said, you know what, they would love to see you read for Bolo. They think you're a perfect fit for Bolo. So at that point, um, I knew it was more than a coincidence. Uh, it was the first time in my life that I decided to fully embrace the Bolo character. Um, you know, I've never resented him, so to speak, because he's so iconic and so legendary. But like I said, I was just a Bruce Lee fan growing up. So being a Bruce Lee fan ended up helping me land the Bolo role just because I was so aware of Bolo because of Bruce. So when we got the call to audition and then finally, you know, the better call that we had booked uh, the role of Bolo, um, that was just, you know, that was just epic for me because I had grown up watching him. Um, I, I, I am by far humbled and flattered to represent him and to tribute him throughout warrior and uh i i that day that we booked we booked this show it was a was a very 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 amazing day to say the least all right you mentioned your college football so between that martial arts and modeling you had a lot of discipline talents do any of those disciplines help you when you're trying to act or find you know your way on a scene you know, what I've always thought about is, you know, people always ask me, they're like, you know, you, you, you play football in college, you know, you went to Yale, you went to law school, you went to NBA school, and now you're an actor. Like, was that a waste? You know, people always bring that up. And, and my answer is always not at all. If anything, 
each one of those disciplines takes discipline, you know, and whether you have to wake up to go to class or you have to put in the time to study for an exam or you have to put in the, the hours to train for a game, all of that is what the martial arts foundation is based on. It's based on self-discipline, self-control, self-respect, you know, and, and that foundation, which was obviously inspired by Bruce Lee to begin my martial arts training has kind of resonated throughout all the courses and all the extracurriculars and kind of all the things I've done in life. So when you ask the question, is that, you know, carry over to the acting a hundred percent. I mean, we have to show up on time, you know, we have to show up prepared. We have to, have you know we have to be professionals when we're working you know and i think i think having the background that i that i've have um and the experience that i've gone through have, has only made me and prepared me to be a better actor in, in in what i do and you know on one side a lot of people focus on acting as the craft right well there's this whole other side about just being a professional at what you do you know and i think that professionalism and and that kind of etiquette you know, you can't learn that overnight, you know, whether you're working a nine to five in the corporate world or whether you're going to school as a student or whether you're studying martial arts, you know, as a martial artist, you know, or whether you're an actor at the end of the day, you have to be accountable. You know, people are, are depending on you to show up. People are paying you a lot of money to perform. Um, and, and it's all about accountability and responsibility. You know what I mean? And so I think no matter what we do in life, you know, you know, like my dad always says, Hey man, you got to get up, you got to wake up and go to class, you know, well, I got to wake up and go to set, you know, so it's the same thing. So I, I think, I think I'm just lucky enough to have had all those experiences to shape me and to, to basically impact me so that I can be that professional actor when I get called to. Cool. Awesome. Let's go to your Warrior After Dark show. Um, you started that on social media. You stream live on Instagram and Facebook after each episode on Friday nights. You know, being able to connect with you know fans and anybody interested in the show. How do you think that's you know really improved uh, being able to promote the the episodes, connect, answer questions, and maybe even drum up some new work in, in the future. Uh, how has social media like changed the the modern world as far as filmmaking goes? Um, well, first of all, you know, I, I think a lot of times social media gets a kind of a negative connotation associated with it. You know what I mean? And and for me personally, you know, I've always been a private person just by nature. So I've had to literally learn and coach myself about this whole social media world and culture, you know, and uh, in doing that, I, I've tried to embrace it as much as I can, you know, and and to be honest, I, I actually didn't want to do or go live on, on Instagram in the beginning, just because not so much out of fear, but just because you know, I, I was just hoping people would tune in to, to watch Warrior episode one. Uh, by no means did I actually think people would want to tune into me going live after episode one. You know, I just uh, I, I've had this weird uh, disconnect with social media over the years where you know, I just don't understand why people find it interesting what I'm doing, you know, to be honest. And and to see the response of me posting certain photos or including, you know, things of certain events or certain uh, shows that I'm working on and, and to see the response by, by the viewers and my followers. It, it's a little weird, to be honest. Uh, I'm so uh, I'm so flattered by by the attention that I've been getting from social media. So, you know, in my world, it's only been positive, you know? And so, you know, I, 
to be honest, just, I, I, you know, I've been doing this for over a decade now, you know, being in the entertainment industry and, but it feels like I just started yesterday to be honest in a lot of ways, you know, and I, and I, and I still am a fan of many people that I work with, you know, and I still geek out when I see certain actors or certain actresses and I'm very much still a viewer at heart, you know, and a fan. So I remember coming into the business and just seeing how, how the business works, you know, how, you know, as we call it, how movie magic works or, or how we film that or how we capture that or what's the preparation with that and how does a crew work on set and all these things that, you know, the common viewer does not get exposed to, you know, just because there's no accessibility. That's all behind the scenes. A lot of it is confidential. Um, and all you see is the final product. So I took, to, I took the opportunity to go live on Instagram and create this show called warrior after dark to basically reach out to one viewer, two viewers. I didn't, I did not know who was going to tune in um, to basically answer just simple questions like, Hey, is that a real set? Or is that a green screen? Or is that a blue screen? Or, 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 uh, you know, how was it filming in Cape town? Or, you know, what was your preparation like, or did you really get hit in that scene? You know, like just the most generic questions that a lot of times us actors take for granted because we do it day in and day out, you know, but to, to, to viewers and to our audience, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of questions out there on how certain things get done. You know, like we all watch game of Thrones and, you know, unfortunately there aren't, there aren't dragons going on right now. You know what I mean? So, but that alone, they're real as hell in, in the show. You know what I mean? So same with warrior where, you know, it's 2019 and, and we're showing you 1878, you know, and, and it's pretty convincing. It's 1878. You know what I mean? So that's kind of how the basis of, of, of why I chose to go online and to, to try to connect to the viewers. And it's been, it's been such a positive experience and I'm so glad I did it. And, um, it's just cool to establish relationships that I've had even with you guys, you know, joining, joining Instagram live chat sessions every Friday night and, and hopefully just trying to shine a light on things that maybe aren't exposed to the common viewer that everyone has questions about. So it's been really cool. Yeah, we appreciate it. We're kind of super fans of certain shows. So it's great to be able to see the behind the scenes and, you know, just some of the small stories in the background. You know, for so many years, I remember I was so curious because I would fall in love with characters of my own that I would watch on television. I'd be like, oh, my God, like so-and-so is so great. I wonder I wonder what he's like in real life. You know what I mean? And obviously through social media, you know, followers, fans, viewers are able to connect to that real person in real life, you know, through an Instagram live, for example. And so, you know, for me... Uh, yeah, I play Bolo and he's a real intimidating, scary dude, you know, um, at the same time, I've tried to create Bolo as a full person and give him a very full life, you know, as what I say. And, you know, cause the real Bolo, um, was traditionally known as just having one color, so to speak, you know, being very intimidating, being very strong, being very powerful, grunting, having famous one liners here and there, but mostly his physicality spoke for himself. And so through Warrior, I, you know, I, I wanted to tribute him by giving him a full life and really personalizing him, you know. But then again, that's me doing my job as an artist. So I think it's cool that people get to interact with me. And, you know, <laughs> I actually do smile and I do laugh, you know what I mean? And I do joke around and, you know, that's something maybe Bolo doesn't really do all the time. So it gives – I think it's cool because, you know, again, I put myself in the viewer's uh, position and – um you know, I, I would have loved to have social media the way it is now back when I was a kid, 
you know, to have that engagement that I'm having with all my fans now. So it, it's just it's just a win win for everyone. It's great. Speaking of the intimidation, we like that each character on the show kind of has their own weapon that fits with their personality. And Bolo has, you know, the hatchet with the blade on the bottom. Young June has the two knives. Did you guys have any input on that or how did that come to be? You know, this goes back to, you know, just being able to work with people like Jonathan Tropper, who are just so, like I always call him a player's coach. You know, he's so open and willing and and he's one of those bosses that you, you want on set with you. You know, he's not that intimidating guy that you're scared of that, you know, you, you know, he's going to like reprimand you for doing something that he didn't write or whatnot. He's very liberal, very open. And um, he listens to each and every actor, you know, um, in, in discussing with 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 Bolo's weapon and his weapon of choice. You know, we like you said, everyone is very stylized in their own way, you know, so. With Bolo, you know, obviously he's a hatchet man, so we all are traditionally armed with a hatchet or, you know, a small axe is what could also be referred to. Um, but Jonathan, as well as Lonnie, one of our directors, really wanted to personalize Bolo's weapon. And, uh, you know, we had discussions about it. You know, there was drawings, you know, our, uh, our, our prop coordinator and weapons designer guy, he really went over and beyond to to customize something that will actually fit my actual hand, you know? So, um, what's, what's not, um, shown is, uh, is the detail, you know, of, of Bolo's hatchet. It actually, um, you know what? I actually have a replica that I keep right here just in case I have questions. Um, like you guys, so actually here is Bolo's hatchet. Oh, wow. That's crazy. I keep, right behind me in case any podcast <laughs> <go> on. <laughs> and so what you guys can see is that it has a personalized kind of ring holder, almost like a gun, right? Yep. So, and this thing was measured to my size. So, you know, it, it's a perfect fit for my hand. And the cool thing about it is that, you know, we played around with this spike thing and this spike thing actually was motivated from the railroad spike, which is something actually that I personally came up with and brought to Jonathan, knowing that, you know, maybe Bolo carries something uh, from his past. And what could that be? And knowing the backstory of him working on the railroad and obviously all the all the all the all the grinding and working that entails. I was like, you know what? Bolo keeps a railroad spike as a memory, as something to just hold in his hand, as well as something to simultaneously use to defend himself or to attack and so this was inspired by that um we actually didn't uh, we weren't planning on actually bringing the actual railroad spike into the show it was more of a backstory prop that we were able to incorporate and see that's another example of what jonathan was able to do he I, we had a discussion about it i think in the first episode and by episode four he had rewritten the script to include it in that scene at the table where i jam it into the table um, so, you know, that's just the kind of guy Jonathan is. He listens to his actors, he incorporates it, and when he can, he puts it in. And so I'm so thankful for, for him doing that for me. Um, but then back to Bolo's hatchet, you can see actually right here, it's almost like a hammer. Um, so that can also be used that way. So if he's striking here, he can come back and flip it and actually use it as a hammer at the same time. Um, and then you have your traditional axe here. So... For the most part, all of the other Hopway hatchet men have just 
a generic hatchet, which basically would just be similar minus this and minus this. Um, again, it's the small things and, you know, it, it, it it's unfortunate that a lot of the detail kind of gets left out, but that's why, again, in episode six, we're at the finale of my little fight. I actually take that and I jam it into the guy's head. Yeah, that was a great moment. The cell that something's going on at the bottom of that hatchet. You know what I mean? It's not just me just guiding the guy's head. Like I literally stick them and then we, I pound them into the, into the, into the bar top. So, um, yeah, like, you know what I'm saying? They had the original idea. I gave my input. At the end of the day, it was a collaboration and we went through different, different versions of, of Bolo's hatchet until we, until we discovered the right one. And, uh, it all worked out. Yeah, your uh, your face at the end of that scene with uh, the blood all over it, and you know, drinking the the whiskey was great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was that was a fun scene to say that. Yeah, that was definitely fun. Very accomplished after all that hard work. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, at the same time, the, the the most important thing that I love about that whole experience was that no one got hurt. You know, which was which is, you know, it's what I always say: it's controlled chaos. You know, and and it looks dangerous, and it is. Um, luckily with the stunt guys and the stunt coordinator that we were working with, you know, there's this huge trust factor. Um, and even with, uh, uh, the last guy that I actually st- stabbed in the head and he, you know, gets his head jammed into the bar, his name's Jason. And, uh, Jason's worked on a ton of stuff. Um, I, I, I told him, I was like, Hey, we need to end this in the right way. How many takes did you guys have to do to get that shot? You know what? I honestly think we only did it twice. Because number one, I told him, I said, I don't want to do this to you more than once, to be honest, even though it's controlled and, you know, there's padding where there can be padding and stuff. And obviously there's no spike on the end of that one. You know what I mean? Um, there is, but it's a soft spike. Um, I just, you know, having a background in stunts, you know, I just, uh, you know, the worst thing I think as a stuntman is when, is when an actor goes, oh yeah, well we can do this until we get it right. You know what I mean? And because it's not, it's not my head that's slamming that thing. You know <laughs> right. what I mean? So to me, I told him, I said, Hey man, let's just get it in one so we can just finish and wrap the day and go home. And, you know, of course he was being professional and a typical Hollywood stunt guy. And like, Oh no, man, like I'm good. We can do it a hundred times. I'm like, nah, I don't think so. So I luckily, I think we only did it a couple of times. So it worked out. We heard in a previous interview that you did, that you'd like to be the leading role, uh, the first Asian American uh, in a leading role, and now that you're on, uh, you know, Cinemax show and, you know, in the premium network circuit, do you think anything like that is in the future? And what type of roles have you been reading for lately? You know, to be honest, coming up, you know, in, in the time that I've been able to do this full, you know, full time in, in the entertainment business. You know, there's been other Asian American leading men as well. You know what I mean? And and my goal has always been to to kind of get my place at that table, so to speak. You know, and and to me, to be honest, I have a lot of more I have more personal wins than public wins. I would say, and, and what I mean by that is, you know, traditionally when I first started out acting and and going out for roles and stuff, you know, it was traditionally just Asian quote unquote Asian roles. You know, whether it's you know you're the forensics guy on the CSI or or, you know, you're the friends, this guy on Chicago PD, or you're the, the weird scientist kind of guy, or you're like the ninja guy, or you're the triad guy, you know, it was very, they're very typical, stereotypical roles that I was going out for. And, and those were great. You know what I mean? I had a lot of fun doing those kind of, those kind of characters, but at the same time, 
you know, my, my personal wins are when I've been called to, to audition and being considered and then book roles that were never written for an Asian character, especially an Asian American male. Um, th- th- those are the big deal ones to me, um, in layman terms, because, you know, I think now, you know, with, with the inclusion of Asian American actors and leading men in the business kind of globally, you know, there are creating more opportunities for us, you know? So, I mean, Bolo's a great example, for example, you know, it's just the fact that number one, you know, Shannon Lee wanted to cast Asian American or second generation, you know, English speaking Asian actors for this show, you know, because her dad was denied the opportunity because he was Asian back in the seventies. You know, this is her way of, basically showing that we have progressed and we have changed and the industry is, is different now. So to answer your question, I mean, I've had those wins, you know, for the past few years, which I'm grateful for, you know, playing characters that the writers and the producers never thought like, Oh yeah, we should call in rich, you know, but now they are. And, and, and now I'm booking those roles as well as roles like Bolo and well as roles that are like, you know, in, in the man in the high castle, which is my next show coming out in which I play a Japanese Kempitai officer. You know, those roles are all great. And, and I love going out for those roles. At the same time, I love going out for roles that people never thought, like we should have an Asian American lawyer or a cop or, or, a, or, or a banker or something like that, you know? And so I, I think slowly but surely, you know, every year is a different platform is what I say. I'm progressing at a, at a pace where I think hopefully, you know, I will earn that seat at that table you know, eventually. And, and I couldn't be more proud though, to, to kind of jump to the next platform because of warrior, you know, just because of the, of what it's based on and its foundation. Yeah. Jay mentioned you're in the like HBO family now, would you be interested in something like a true detective or whatever HBO's next oh, big yeah, show is? Totally. I personally have had a list of directors, producers, showrunners, writers, studios, networks that I'm like, I would want to work for, for them or be on this channel or this network and work for that studio. And, you know, and slowly I've been able to check a lot of these things off on my list, you know, on my bucket list, so to speak. And, and definitely, you know, I've always, I've always, uh, had, uh, I'd say infatuation of playing a cop or a detective and seeing a show like true detective. I mean, it's so, it's so great. You know what I mean? That. Um, hopefully in the future, you know, there, there, there can be an Asian cop in the South, you know what I mean? Or, or an Asian detective in the South. And, and I think it would just add a whole nother dimension and a whole nother perspective, you know, similar to warrior where, you know, obviously I studied American history in college, but more importantly, uh, concentrated on Asian American history. So warrior is definitely something that I'm aware about as far as that time period and kind of what the what the demographic environment was and what it was all about, especially for the Chinese, you know, and, and sadly enough, a lot of Americans are not aware of simple things like Chinese working on the American railroad back in the day. Absolutely. Uh, you know, and we're so, tr- we're so kind of conditioned to just think of the wild West of just Indians and cowboys, you know, but there was this huge population of Chinese in that world that have kind of been excluded, you know, no pun intended for, you know, from a lot of these Westerns. So to show and be a part of what warrior is, you know, we're not, we're not trying to create something. We're actually just showing something for the first time. Yeah. Something that was already there to begin with. Yep. Totally. So you mentioned, uh, you're a history major and we saw your short film named Yama. And that was about a comfort woman, um, in South Korea. 
Are you planning to do any other films or anything to cover uh, other Asian uh, historical events? You know what? I've actually been approached um, to do a lot, actually, uh, especially in the ind independent film world, and and I'm completely open to it. And the only reason why I wasn't, I haven't been able to take on a lot of these projects that have been uh, brought to me is just because I've been working on things like Warrior, which was like five months of last year, and then The Man in the High Castle, which was another four months, you know, and and uh, doing all this other stuff in the in between. So I, I'm totally open to that. I, I think you know, for example, the the whole issue of the Korean comfort women, uh, for those of us that aren't familiar with it, it's just basically that, you know, it's this, it's this label and title that's been given to Korean women who during world war two, uh, were basically tricked and kidnapped from the Japanese Imperial soldiers to quote unquote work in Japan or go to Japan to seek better work opportunities to, to make money to send back to their families in Korea. When in fact they were basically kidnapped and imprisoned and made to serve as sex slaves for the Japanese Imperial Army. Um, that short you're talking about called Yama is actually about a Korean um, comfort woman who falls in love with a Japanese soldier. And even though she is quote unquote working um, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, she is able to find time to to be intimate without being intimate like she is with the other soldiers so to speak with one soldier in particular and it's just you know it's 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 a quick glimpse at their interaction and kind of their world and their fantasy world that they escape to he's trying to escape the war she's trying to escape being a comfort woman and they find this this happy hybrid and uh you know moment during the day where they can share that so you know, touching on something like that, which is so highly political and highly historic, is is great. Um, there's so many layers to to that kind of subject matter. At the same time, there's so many other things like Japanese internment camps during World War II in the U.S., which you know, personally, my grandparents and my aunt and uncle were all part of that. You know, and they were all born in the U.S. My grandparents were born in Los Angeles, um, yet they were interned because of their nationality. And their ethnicity at the time, you know, so anything to shed light like we're doing in Warrior, you know, for example, on the Chinese experience and the Chinese coolies and their 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 their, their contribution to the railroad system. You know what I mean? Um, anytime I, can, I have an opportunity to do that and to basically put, you know, my my culture, my heritage as an Asian American on the map and to shed light on that to people that may not even know that existed uh, it is always a win for me. So definitely open to doing a lot more in that world. Yeah, I think that's a win for us, too. I don't think I heard anything about this in high school, but in college, I studied quite a bit of Asian history. So um, it's good to see it finally out in the open. And Totally, totally. You did a little bit of producing and directing on that short film that we talked about. A big episode, number five in Warrior, kind of had some nods to, you know, Tarantino and Eastwood. Other than, you know, some big name uh, directors like that, you know, Justin Lin is involved with Warrior. Is there any other Asian American directors that you'd like to work with? Um, to be honest with you, Justin Lin was the Asian American director that I have been wanting to work for and work under his direction for quite some time. You know, so to, to be honest, um, I have some friends that are coming up in the business as directors as well, and, and they're doing very, very, you know, they're they're having success um, in, in their parts of the world that, you know, currently, 
Um, but to be honest, you know, the, the one Asian American director that I had my eyes set on was Justin Lin, just because of what he's been able to do, you know, even before this whole wave of Asian American, um, awareness, let's say, you know, kind of has started breaking down barriers in Hollywood. So, so to me, he was kind of one of those, uh, directors that was definitely on the top of my list to work with and to just you know, be a part of his world in any way possible has, has been a huge accomplishment for me personally, just because I, I've looked up to him and what he's done in his past and, 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 and all of his, you know, all his Fast and Furious films and his Star Trek and even, you know, Better Luck Tomorrow and all those original pieces he did have just been so memorable, you know, and so impactful. And so, uh, that was definitely a huge honor to be cast by him and to work under him as, as, as one of his actors. And um, I, I hope there's a, there's there's projects in the future that I'll be able to collaborate with him as well. So you mentioned shooting for about five months in South Africa last year. Uh, what was it like being in South Africa for five months? Uh, how was the food and the weather and being away from home? I've been fortunate enough to travel the world, so to speak, because of what I do as an actor. And by no means would I have ever thought years ago that I would have an opportunity to even travel and visit South Africa and, and more specifically Cape Town. Um, I had no idea what to expect. You know, you can show me photos all day, but until you're there, you don't really, you can't really grasp the energy and, and, and the feel of it. Um, you know, it's very ironic that we filmed Warrior, which is, you know, the first Asian American uh, drama, thriller, Western, you know, whatever, whatever, and all these other titles and labels that have been given to it, you know, we're the first at many, you know, through do, doing what we did on Warrior, which is a huge honor. And I, I, I thought it was ironic that we were filming this show that was breaking down racial barriers and stereotypes. And you know, we can't forget, you know, Bruce Lee back in the 70s was denied this opportunity to make this thing come to life because he was Asian, you know, and, and, and Hollywood wasn't ready for an Asian lead. Yet we're now in 2019 filming this show, this vision of Bruce Lee in the motherland, the mother city of where apartheid was and then was abolished by Nelson Mandela. I mean, the, the irony in that is, is you can't, I mean, you can't, you can't write this kind of stuff, you know what I mean? And, and to experience the people, the culture. I mean, there's so many layers to that society and that, and that, and that South African culture there that, you know, what I always tell people is I went to South Africa to film a TV show. I did not go there to study the political, social, economic, cultural layout of that country or the history of that country, but it's so rich and so vibrant and so present that you spend five months there you're going to come back with a whole new perspective on life, on life, on racism, on oppression, on, on just change. You know what I mean? And so, I mean, what you really hear a, a lot is about the beauty of Cape Town, which is spectacular. You have, you know, one of the seven wonders of Table Mountain right there. And you have Camps Bay, which is, you know, basically white sand beaches. And then you have wine country within 15 minutes of a drive. Um, you have wildlife. You have safari all within 45 minutes to where, you know, you have civilization, let's say. And um, the food is tremendous. The people are, are overwhelmed. Are, you know, they're just so welcoming. At the same time, there's this depth and this 
thickness in the air of the culture that I cannot describe. You have to just go there and feel, you know, and you feel it through the people when you have a conversation with them. You know, it's such a, a melting pot of so many cultures. You have Malaysians. They actually have a, a, a section called Cape Malay, which is its own culture because of the Malaysians uh, being so dominant and present in South Africa from back in the day. You have Indians, you have Chinese, you know, then you have all of you have Europeans, you know, who vacation there and have settled there for, you know, for the past, I don't know how many decades. So it's this huge, just mixture. I mean, it's ironic too, because you have both the Indian ocean and, and the, and the Atlantic ocean meeting at the Cape of Good Hope. And it, and it's very symbolic to what that place is about, you know? So what I always say is, you know, you, you take the two week vacation there and it's spectacular, but you, you stay and you live there for five months it's definitely going to impact you. And it definitely did in a, in a positive way, you know, and, and, uh, through the, through the conversations I've had with local people there and their experience of being, you know, during the apartheid government, I mean, it's just, it's stuff I will never experience. We will never experience. And, um, to, I was experiencing history literally. So being a history major, you know, that was just, that was just gold for me, you know, cause it was so hands-on. Yeah. That's powerful. Yeah. Since you're, you know, you lived there for five months while you were filming, and I'm sure you were also maintaining a pretty strict training regimen since you were filming Warrior. Uh, is there a, a cheat food or something that you go to as soon as you're, you know, able to that you look forward to? Yeah, I mean, that was the other thing that was so ironic because actually, my, my favorite dessert, like, I'm a carrot cake guy, right? And ironically, they have carrot cake everywhere in South Africa. I mean, that's all things out of all things. It's, it's like carrot cake is everywhere. And, and, and it's, and it's really good. Um, and, and, you know, I don't know if it's because of the European influences or whatnot, but they just, there's a ton of bakeries. And for some odd reason I've evolved into a dessert guy, um, which is very difficult when you're trying to, you know, maintain a certain look and a certain image for a show like warrior, especially being Bolo. Um, so yeah, like, I mean, I, I always incorporate a cheat day, you know, once a week just to keep myself mentally sane. Um, and, and I think it's just healthy that way. Um, but you know, I have to give it up to Andrew Koji, uh, on my, on my last day I came back and he had left me a, a cake in my trailer and, uh, it, it was my kind of cake. I'll just put it like that. <laughs> and, uh, definitely enjoyed, enjoyed that cake. And, 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 and a couple of weeks after I wrapped, uh, you know, I kind of, I kind of went off the deep end in my diet, so to speak. But, um, you know, that's another thing. The food the food there is, you know, I love Mediterranean food. I eat a pretty much Mediterranean diet all the time. And Cape Town has really good Mediterranean food. So um, it, it was it was good on one hand because I didn't feel like I was dieting because it was easy to get the kind of foods that, that I like and, and, and the kind of foods that I like to eat while I'm training. But then it was also bad because then they had – an abundance of carrot cake and all this other stuff that was just wonderful as well. So, um, you know, you got, you got to cheat once in a while to, to, to stay right. mentally yeah. sane and not go crazy. Uh, so when we open our podcast, we typically share whatever we're drinking with our listeners. Do you have a go-to like alcoholic beverage when you're out with your guys? Again, coincidentally in warrior bolo is a, is a whiskey guy, you know, as evident of episode six. And, uh, I, I am a whiskey guy in real life. So, I'm a bourbon dude. I love, you know, two shots of bourbon on the rocks or straight up. Um, it's kind of my go-to. Uh, that's why uh, the funny story is 
at the beginning of that fight scene in the Fung Hai Casino, uh, that wasn't written in, so to speak. And I was like, hey, man, we're, we're in a bar. There's, there's, there's free whiskey bottles on the table and free whiskey glasses. I, I'm definitely going to incorporate this in some way in this scene. And then, and again, Jonathan, let me, let me have a drink at the end. And, you know, it, it, I think it was a great way to end that kind of sequence. Yeah, it worked for sure. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> All right. Well, finally, I think with, you know, your long list of accomplishments for our listeners, do you have any uh, words of inspiration or some rules to live by or that you have followed to get you to where you are in your career? Yeah, definitely. I mean, um, you know, a lot of people ask me this all the time, actually, and especially, you know, guys just starting out in the business and just people in general and other professions. And, and, and the one thing I always say is, you know, I, I've, I've, I've been in other people's shoes where I've been watching TV and I see someone accept an Academy Award and, you know, they give the cliche speech of, you know, if you work hard, anything's possible, you know, and, and to me, you know, that, that's always been kind of hard to digest because I, I've known what I had to go through to get to the point where I'm at. And, you know, I'm, I'm just in my mind, just starting still, you know, so what I always encourage people to do when they ask me that question is basically, it's simple. I just say, whatever you do, don't stop. Meaning this, meaning, listen, if, if, if you want to do something in life, then you should do it straight up. But in doing that, understand that you're going to have ups and downs. You're going to have trials. You're going to have tribulations. You're going to have good days and you're going to have bad days. You know, on your good days, it's going to motivate you to keep going. On your bad days, it's going to motivate you to stop. What you can't do is stop because the minute you stop, that's when everything gets shut down. If you fail because door one closes, well, it should motivate you to go to door two or door three or door four. You know, if you get through door one, then it should motivate you to get to the next platform for the next door. You know, so with that, I always say with hard work comes a higher percentage of getting lucky. And I think to be successful, you need both luck and hard work together. You know, some people are like, oh, I got lucky. Well, I don't believe that. I think you got lucky because you were working hard at what you wanted to do. You know, I don't believe anything's possible with hard work because I believe anything is possible with a little bit of luck and hard work, you know. And so my, my advice is always the same. You know, if you have a passion, if you have a dream, do it. Go for it. Of course, there's a lot of things in life that get in the way, you know. But like for me, I would have never imagined I'd be doing this full time. You know, but literally I just kept working, whether it was through college or grad school or, you know, working a nine to five in the corporate world. Um, things just kept leading me to what I believe is my destiny in, in this world. And it's to act. And, and the only thing I can look back and say that I didn't do, which is I didn't stop. You know, I just kept going. So that's that's why it takes me a little longer to answer that question than the simple thank you speech on stage saying, Hey, if you work hard, anything's possible, you know, and that, that kind of gets under my skin a little bit because I have a different take on that mentality. So, well, I think those are uh, great words. I am a, uh, I'm the first college graduate in my family ever you really just have to keep going. You find a roadblock, you move to the side and go right around it. Definitely. Because it's those, it's those experiences that I, I really feel are going to make you who you are. You know what I mean? If you're given things and things happen easy for you, that's great. And you're fortunate at the same time. You know, I, I feel that, 
you know, I'm the person I am today because of the fails that I've had in life and the choices that I've had to do to adjust and making the next step, you know, and, and some, some of the most, the, the greatest growth I've experienced just as a person has come from those times in which I was at the lowest, you know what I mean? So, um, so yeah, I mean, that, that's, that, that's, that's my answer in a nutshell. <laughs> that's a good answer. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you for joining us today, Rich. We are excited to see the last four episodes of Warrior Season 1, and hopefully we will see you on Warrior After Dark. Definitely. I appreciate you guys tuning in every week, and uh, you know, it's, it's been a great experience uh, reaching out to the fans and, and just kind of being a, a voice to, to, to Warrior, you know, and uh, I appreciate all the time, all the support, and all the questions and comments you guys give every week, and congratulations on doing what you guys do as well. Um, you know, like I said, if, if, if we didn't do warrior, we wouldn't even be here. So I'm grateful for that experience to have made season one of warrior come, come to come to the small screen and reach so many people like yourselves. And, and again, just thank you for all the support. All right. Well, thank you for your time tonight. Thanks for being on the show. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. All right. We'll see you next season, Bolo. All right. <laughs> Bye. Well, thanks for watching everybody. Big thanks again to Rich Ting for coming on the show. With only a few episodes left of Warrior this season, uh, we can't wait to see what's in store. Uh, I know we'll be watching, so I hope you guys do as well. Be sure to follow Rich on his Instagram, at RichTangWorld, as well as on Facebook. And if you guys liked our t-shirts, we'll put a link in the description. You guys can pick up some for yourself. They come in you know, different colors and, and all sizes, so be sure to check that out. As always, you can catch Warrior Friday nights on Cinemax at 9 p.m. Central Standard Time. And then be sure to tune in to Warrior After Dark on Rich's Instagram. Uh, He streams live after each episode. Uh, We'll be there and hope you guys are as well. Yeah, and Rich streams after the East Coast and West Coast showing. So wherever you're at, you can join. No matter where you're at, yep, be on there. And thank you guys so much for watching. I hope you guys enjoyed it as much as we did talking to Rich. And we do a weekly podcast after each episode of Warrior. Be sure to check that out. We review and kind of give some insights on what we thought about the show. Uh, so, you know, check that out. Uh, we do other shows as well. So check out our playlist on YouTube as well as on Anchor. And let us know what you guys think. Thanks for watching. Yeah. Thank you. See you next time.